Ready for some word today? All right, go with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians, the fifth chapter. We've been in this series now for the last number of weeks called Totally Righteous. And uh, we're going to continue this Totally Righteous series today. 2 Corinthians, the fifth chapter. Notice with me over here in the 21st verse. 521, for he made him who knew no sin to be sin, everybody say be sin, for us that we might become the righteousness of God. Everybody say that with me. The righteousness of God, now everybody else say it too, the righteousness of God in him. All right. So our identity then is to be found in Christ, not in ourselves. You are not just whoever you are, your past, your education, your experience. No, once you get saved, you're in Christ. And so your identity then completely changes from this natural world to a spiritual, eternal reality. Okay, uh, and so we are declared, I say we, I'm talking anyone who is in Christ, anyone who's been born again, you are defined by God, not, maybe not by your family, maybe not by people around you, but by God you are defined as right, not wrong, just, right, right, just. Righteous with God. Everything's right. Everything's good. Everything's clean, clear. Everything's A-OK. You, you have right standing with God. Okay, That's your position. It's not in flux from day to day. If you have a bad thought, you don't lose it. If you do something stupid, you don't lose your standing with God. All right. How many know we're all in trouble if that's the case? Yeah. What if I die and everything's not El Perfecto in every area of my life? Well, if your standing with God is based upon everything being el perfecto in your life and you doing everything right, most of us are probably in trouble, right? But if our standing with God and our eternity is based upon the finished work of the cross and our belief in that, then we're good. Someone said, that sounds like a license for loosey-goosey, you know, (laughs) living. No, no. That, I realize some people take it there, but that's not the intention, and that's not God's plan for people just to live uh, in, in some kind of unrestrained way, some sinful way, and just claim forgiveness and claim standing with God. That's an abuse of God's grace and love, and that's a dangerous place to be. Everybody with me? All right. Uh, the belief in and... And who, the belief in who we are, what we are in Christ, what this does is it creates the potential to live life a particular way. So if my believing is wrong, my living becomes wrong. But if my believing is right, it's correct, then I have the empowerment, the ability to live right uh, b- before God. Last week we were talking about this issue um, of this myth that we have a dual nature. 
that as a Christian, we are both righteous and unrighteous at the same time. That as a believer, we are both sinner and saint. We are right and wrong, light and darkness, all at the same time. And we then have this internal struggle that we have to battle with and overcome on a daily basis, this fight, right? Because we're a dual creature, a dual nature person. Much of that is taught to believers in the world today. But no, when you were saved, you really were made completely and totally right with God. And it worked. The new birth actually removed sin from your life. Huh? Now, like we talked about, I don't want to review totally, but uh, we still remember it and know how to do it. <laughs> right? But that's the thing that we need to deal with is our belief system. And when it's reinforced in a person... Because they came out of sin, came out of darkness, and they're now light and right with God. But when it's reinforced, you're a rascal, man. You are a good for nothing. You are a sinner. And and you have this nature that compels you to do wrong. When that's reinforced, all that does is produce a defeated life. And we want to produce righteous living, holy thinking, godly ways of doing things and so we need reminded not of who we were and the dude in the grave right but who we are resurrected in christ and what we have the power the authority the ability the right to live with and for him hallelujah go with me over to hebrews the 10th chapter knowing who you are in christ and believing the right things is vital to your success. Now, one of the one of the things that we, uh, the ways to explain this and describe this is is a. I uh, hope it doesn't sound like an overly religious terminology, but it's called righteousness consciousness. Can you say that with me? Righteousness consciousness. The opposite of that would be sin consciousness. All right. In other words, what am I aware of? What am I conscious of? What do I think? How, how do I think? Do I think saved or do I think lost? Do I have an awareness of right standing with God or do I live feeling bad, feeling guilty, feeling like there's something missing and lacking and broken in my life continually? We want to get to this place of righteousness, consciousness. In fact, it's one of the primary differences between the Old Testament and the New Testament. Do, do we recognize that the Bible is not just a book in the sense of other books where it has an author telling a story or, or, or you know, fiction or nonfiction, but the Bible is not a book like that. The Bible is a book of books. It is a collection of many different writings inspired by the Lord, but there is a reason why it is divided between Old Testament and New Testament. Okay, and, and what some, some people have not understood, they've not recognized, is the rules changed in the ways that God deals with mankind based upon the time or specifically the covenant that He has established with man. That determines how He relates to us, how we are to relate to Him. That's why we don't just, in the Scripture, turn to any page, anywhere, and treat it all equal. 
Say, well, it's all the Bible. And so we just grab any scripture out of any page, out of any book, out of any covenant, out of any time, and apply it equally to our lives. Everybody with me today? Okay, that would be totally incorrect. That is a way to get completely confused and misunderstand how God relates to us today. We must know there is a, I mean, we could talk about this for a long time, but there is an Old Testament. There is a New Testament or a New Covenant. We have been given a New Covenant that this same book, Hebrews, says is established upon better promises. Yeah, God upped the ante, gave us a better system to live under. Yeah. And it's, here we are. It's called Jesus was raised from the dead and now we can be in Christ. See, how many know when we die, we don't have to go to Abraham's bosom as it's referred to. We don't have to go and wait so we can be redeemed. Why? Because Jesus already died and was raised from the dead and we can already have right standing with God. When you and I die, what happens? Absent of the body, present with the Lord. Immediately we can go into the very presence of God. Why? Why can we do that? Because we're right. We're right with God. We don't carry a sin nature. So we have to wait. Old Testament people, what did they have to do? They had to, they had to chill some for thousands of years. <laughs> I don't know what that time felt like to them, but they had to wait. They're waiting on who? Jesus. They're waiting on the Messiah. They're waiting on redemption. They're ra- waiting on their dead spirit to be made alive again. And so they had to wait. That's why the Bible says when Jesus, uh, in Ephesians 4, he took a multitude of captives. It was all those Old Testament believers waiting for the Messiah. He took a multitude of captives out of this place, this place called paradise, which was across the river from hell where people were tormented, but it was under the earth. And he took them out of there and led them into into glory. But we don't have to go through that. We don't have to go through that waiting period. Hmm? Don't have to go to any purgatory. Don't have to... Now that doesn't exist, right? We don't have to go go to any uh, any waiting period, any holding tank, huh? <laughs> no, uh, no twenty one day. Uh, what do you call that? Detox. De- not detox, but <laughs> uh, you know what they're doing with the Ebola people? What? Quarantine, thank you. <laughs> no quarantine. We've got to get you all set up before you can come into the throne of God. No, we go right on in. It's good news. Praise God. And so, big difference between the Old Testament and the New. But here's, here's one of the things I want to point out. In the Old Covenant, the system established, the system in place, was specifically designed to keep them sin conscious. It almost sounds kind of harsh, but it was designed to make them conscious of sin. Why? They needed to be reminded that they needed a Savior, that the Messiah was necessary, that Jesus did have to come and save them from their sin. They could not save themselves. And so the system was in place through sacrifices, through the repetition of those sacrifices, so they would be reminded every year. You've sinned. You've sinned. You've come short of the glory of God. But the problem is, is nowadays, often, Christians, they're given that same message. It's as if Jesus never came. Because they're still told, you've sinned. You're a bad person. You, are, you, have, you have a sinful heart. Your heart is forever vile and evil before God. 
And if we live with that, we are totally missing out on the glorious benefits of this new covenant. Of this relationship found in Christ. This is what the scripture says right here in Hebrews chapter 10. Read with me the first two verses. For the law, having a shadow of the good things to come and not the very image of the things, can never with these same sacrifices which they offer continually year by year make those who approach perfect. Now stop for a moment. What does it say? It Pointing to the old system... Those sacrifices, it said, they could not make a person what? Perfect. They couldn't make a person perfect. What's the goal? To make people perfect. Otherwise, you wouldn't say it that way. You wouldn't put the old system down because saying it didn't work because it didn't make anyone perfect. What is he contrasting? Well, the new way does make a person perfect. Hmm? The new system does what the old system couldn't do. Those sacrifices couldn't perfect people. But the final sacrifice, who is Jesus, what? Could perfect people. Could completely take all sin away and make them right with God. And this is a word that people are afraid of in church circles. Make them perfect. I mean, I, I, a lot of us, if, we, if I lead you in a perfect confession right now, there would be some, some trouble right up here if we started saying, I am perfect. Because we're all used to saying, well, nobody's perfect. <laughs> and yet, that doesn't agree with Scripture. Say well, I don't know about that. That just doesn't sound right to me. I know it doesn't sound right because our minds need to be renewed to the Word of God. We need to identify with who we are in Christ, not who we are in us. If we're talking about our actions, agreed, but we're not. And I'm telling you, we need to talk more about the finished work of the cross than the unfinished work of ourselves. Verse 2. For then would they not have ceased to be offered, in other words, the sacrifices, if they could have done the job perfecting the the, the individual, then wouldn't they have ceased? For the worshipers, once purified, would have had no more consciousness of sins. So they were purified, or what? Perfected. And they would not have been sin conscious, but they were sin conscious because the sacrifices didn't do the job. And he's again, you can read this most a good part of this whole book, is contrasting how what they had prior was uh, inferior. And what we have in Christ is superior. Why? Because that couldn't do the job. It was a reminder, reminder, reminder. You need more help. You need more help. But Jesus came and now it is done so what is the what is the position that we are to have our belief about ourselves and what we have in the lord we are to not have a sin consciousness but we are to have what righteousness consciousness we are to be conscious ever present ever dwelling in our minds this belief that we are right with god See, that's the opposite of a person feeling bad. 
feeling guilty, feeling shame, feeling like a, like, like a rascal. Remember Adam? The very first thing that happened after he sinned, he ran from God. He hid from Him. He tried to go away. There was fear that was, that was in, in, included, that was a part of his heart from that moment. So an unrighteous person with unrighteous consciousness is afraid. They run from God. They shy back. But a person with right, righteousness consciousness has a boldness to them. There's some, they're, just, they're right with God. They have right standing with God and everything is a-okay. Look with me at 1 John chapter 3. Just take a right turn there. A few pages. See, when believers are told again and again and again that they are sinners and have a sin nature, it produces in them a sin consciousness. It does exactly what those sacrifices of the Old Testament were done. I mean, one of the purposes was to uh, avoid judgment coming upon them, and so there was some benefit to them, but they also had this side effect, and it was intentional, to remind them of sin. If a person now is born again, and they are told again and again, you're a sinner, you're a sinner, you're a sinner, you're a sinner, you've got a sin nature, that produces sin consciousness. I walk around feeling like there's a problem, there's something wrong, I need, uh, there needs to be more done. But I'm telling you, there can be no more done than Jesus. If we put Jesus plus our effort, Jesus plus our righteous living, then we're going to fail every time and none of us will be saved. Because I guarantee, you, I guarantee you, we will all trip up somewhere down the road. Hmm. It can't be Jesus plus our righteousness because we can't do it. We can't succeed. We cannot live perfect. And so we all fail and we all go to hell. Or we rely on Jesus and say, your sacrifice was perfect. It's everything that's needed. I don't need anything else. And because of what you've done, I am right in Christ. Now, now, now 1 John chapter 3 and verse 20, it reads, For if our heart condemns us, now notice I didn't say if God condemns us, because God's not condemning you. If our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and knows all things. So he's not moved by that. His position towards us does not change because inwardly we have condemnation. He said, beloved, verse 21, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence towards God. How, do, how am I going to live by faith and believe that God is for me and not against me? That He hears me and answers me when I pray. That, that He backs me up in all, of my, uh, in all of my efforts and days in life. How am I going to... I have to remove heart condemnation. If my heart continually is telling me, you're a rascal, you are a bad, you are a sinner, you are a horrible person, I'm going to again cower. I'm not going to have confidence before God. I will not be able to live by faith. Right? But who is it that does live by faith? The Bible says the just. Who's that? That's the righteous. It's the same thing. Those who have been justified, those who have been made right with God, they live by faith. Those who, who live condemned, their heart beats them up, their belief system says you're a rascal, you're still a, a, a sinner, they can't live by faith. Are you listening to me? 
So you can't see this from the outside as a general rule on someone's person. You can't see if their heart is beating them up. We all look the same, but you see by results. You, you, you see it by the effectiveness of your own prayer life, how you, what your heart condition is. And if it's condemning you, you're not going to believe God. You're not going to trust Him. You're going to feel unworthy. I deserve this. And that's why all these bad things are happening. But when you get to a place where you say Jesus is enough. He satisfied the laws, the justice system of heaven. And I'm right with God. Based on that and that alone. Whoo. Go with me to Romans chapter 7. Everybody okay? Romans the 7th chapter. See, see when we... Conduct ourselves. Now, let me say, let me say this. I've been around individuals, and I don't I don't knock their intentions or anything like that. But you get around sometimes family meals at Thanksgiving, Christmas, and you know big family prayer, or maybe just in a you know daily evening meal, and every you know corporate prayer for the food been around individuals who will always, in addition to thank you for the food and, uh, you know, blessings of God on it and all that kind of stuff, they will add to their prayers, and Lord, forgive us of all of our sins. Now, no sin in particular is mentioned. Just, Lord, forgive us for of our sins. Sins, uh, plural. Now, did anyone sin? Well, I don't know. I mean, because no mention is made of that. It's just kind of a blanket, forgive us of our sins. And many people have been taught, because it sounds humble. Many have been taught that that would be a good thing. Just every day, in case you forgot something, blanket prayer, forgive me of my sins. Here's the problem I have with that. It produces a sin consciousness. It is not a believer specifically admitting and taking responsibility for a sinful act. But it is kind of a general washing of it's reinforcing this belief. We're all sinners and Lord forgive us of our sins. I don't think that's a good idea. Hmm. Where are we told in Scripture? I'll get to the one verse if I have time. But where are we told in Scripture? Every day now, make sure by the end of the day, at least before you go to bed, ask the Lord to forgive you for every wrong, every sin you committed that day. That, again, does not produce a righteous consciousness in us. Okay, let me, let me come back to that thought uh, in a bit. Romans chapter 7, verse 14. Now, some, some people are totally going to identify with this, and I'm going to get you to stop. Okay? Remember, all Scripture is not equal in its voice to us, in its application by us. All right? We respect all the inspired words of God, but we have to see what, they're, what they are, who they're talking to, and so forth. Romans chapter 7, verse 14, Paul writing, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal. Sold under sin. For what I am doing, I do not understand. For what I will to do, that I do not practice. 
But what I hate, that I do. If then I do what I will not to do, I agree that the law is good. But now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. No, I'm not going to ask that yet. Verse 18, for I know that in me, that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells. For to will is present with me, but how to perform what, uh, uh, how to perform what is good, I do not find. For the good that I will to do, I do not do. But the evil I will not to do, that I practice. Now if I do what I will, will not to do, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. What? Sin that dwells in me? I find then a law that is that, that evil is present with me. The one who wills to do good, for I delight in the law of God according to the inward man, but I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind and bring me, bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. O oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? <laughs> now, this language is what many have read in Scripture and they've put themselves in that position. And they thought, yep, Paul, he struggled. Mm. He just had a hard time in life and I'm kind of like that. I've got this sin dwelling in me. I've, I'm a wretched man. Uh, uh, does this sound like, let me just ask you a question. Does this sound like Paul in the rest of his writings? Does it sound like he's even saved? Does it sound like... There's a lot of silence on that one. Does it sound like a, a, the victorious proclamations that he makes again and again and again about how we are overcomers, about how we can do all things in Christ, about how we are delivered, about how we are holy? He wrote 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 17, how we are the righteousness of God in Christ. It sounds like something totally different. And for us to insert ourselves in this and say, yeah, see, we're all just struggling. We got this sin that dwells in us. We're wretched. Oh, wretched beings. And <laughs> there's a reason this doesn't sound victorious. There's a reason that this doesn't sound like Paul's saved. Because he's not. That's the reason in this passage. Now go back. Go back to verse 9. You sure got real quiet on that. He said, Paul's not saved. Well, <laughs> scriptures have to be read in context. You don't see victory in Christ there. You see me, 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 my, my. Romans chapter 7 verse 9, Paul writes, For I was, al I was alive without the law, but when the commandment came, sin revived, and I, what? I died. Now, what's he talking about there? Is he talking about physical death? Not talking about physical death. Paul said, there was a time in my life when I was alive. Okay, he's not talking about physical life. Talking about spiritual life. He was alive to God at one point. You know when that was? When he was a child. Same thing is true with you and I. Same thing is true. This is, one of the, this is one of the scriptures that we can easily answer the question about what happens when children die. Well, they are alive to God. 
Why? Because the commandment has not come to them yet. So what happens to children when they die? They go to heaven. Say all of them? All of them. Say at what age? I don't know. I don't know an exact age. But there are, and I don't know that, I don't think it's necessarily the same for everyone. But what he said, the commandment came to me. What do you mean, the, what commandment? God's standard. God's commandment. Yes, the law. But the commandment came, and when he recognized, this is God's holy standard, and this is me, what happened to him? He died. Spiritual death then was accounted to him. He became responsible for his actions. He now had spiritual death in his life. And he said, I, the commandment came, sin revived, and I died. So he's speaking of himself under the law prior to the new birth. Prior to coming to Christ. And he goes on to say in verse 10, And the commandment which was, which was to bring life, I found to bring death. For sin taken occasion by the commandment deceived me, and it killed me. Therefore, the law is holy, and the commandment is holy and good. Uh, has, has then what is good become death to me? Certainly not, but sin, that it might appear sin, was producing death in me through what is good, so that sin through the commandment might become exceedingly sinful. And he goes on to explain how his life was conducted, how he lived, and how he dealt with temptation, how he dealt with this sin nature. Until we get to Romans 8, or the last verse in this chapter, and Romans 8. And what's the answer? The answer is Jesus. The answer is Christ. The answer is there is no now condemnation to those who are in Christ. And this little portion of Scripture, it seems to be out of place with all the victory talk. And it is, but it's contextual. But then we come back to being in Christ... Live, having, having the life of God in our thoughts, walking after the Spirit, not after the flesh. We, we come to that section of Scripture, and now all of a sudden we're victorious again. Now all of a sudden we have new life, and the smile comes back. But I tell you, if we live in Romans 7 and just kind of relate, oh, yeah, it's bad. It's bad. It's hard. Then what's going to happen? Then, then, then we're removing ourselves from the benefit and power of an endless life. We're moving ourselves, removing ourselves from the power of right standing with God, of being made just in the sight of God based upon the work, the finished work of the cross. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. So what's the answer? Romans 8 is the answer. Jesus is the answer. He is the victory. But we've got to get back to thinking like a saved person, not thinking like a lost person. There is a literal change that takes place when someone receives the Lord. Go with me to 1 John. 1 John, uh, uh, the first chapter. I like to bring this to a practical... um, resolution in this regard because like I, I, we, said, we talked a couple weeks ago I, we do not and are not supposed to minimize the evilness of sin keep it totally evil nor are we to minimize the sacrifice made for that sin keep it totally powerful and effective but what happens then when a believer um, 
when a believer who is right with God does something wrong. I don't know if anyone can relate to that in, in, in here. Okay. When a believer does something wrong. Okay. Well, what happens? Here's what happens. Your heart condemns you. Not God condemns you, but your heart will mess you up. It will remove your ability to live by faith. You will not have confidence before God. And you will be conscious of sin. When you what? Sin. Unless you've seared your conscience. If a person, if a person sins and ignores it, sins and, and, and ignores it, sins and ignores it, they sear their conscience, and then after a period of time, they're able to live wrong, they're able to live an unholy, sinful life, and do it with relative feel-good about it. They don't feel so bad. Say, is, is that good? No, that's not the feel-good we want. Okay, that's not the goal to live a lascivious life and to be able to just go uh, conscience free out into the world and do anything and and just tag I'm forgiven with I'm forgiven in Christ on the end of it. No, that that you'll not hear the voice of God. You'll not live in the blessing of God. You may even at some point reject the Lord if you follow that path long enough by your own decision and intention after you've been after you've received uh, salvation. So we don't want to go down that path at all. That's why we have verses like this. And we could spend a whole hour teaching this, but I'll just finish up today. 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, what that means is this. I don't lose my salvation as a result of a sin. Everybody with me? We're not talking about if you sin, you're now going to hell. No, we are talking, we are talking dealing with wrong actions, sinful actions that when the believer commits them, knows it. They know it. You do wrong. I do wrong. I know it. Wow. My heart condemns me. There's something on the... Uh, what do I do about that? Scripturally speaking, we don't ignore it. We don't, take, we don't not take responsibility for what we've done. We confess, which means to own it. It means to admit to it. The, the, the Greek word means to say the same thing. For the word for confess, homologeo, means to say the same thing as... What do I say? What do you say about a wrong action committed by you? Uh, it's nothing because I'm forgiven. No, it's big. We always want to keep sin, sin, and righteousness, righteousness. Keep God holy. Keep sin unholy. We don't, we don't water either of them down. Okay, so what do I do with it? I say the same thing. What does that mean? I confess it. What, what, what does that mean? I'm going to say about my sin what God says about my sin. And I'm going to acknowledge it before Him because this is a relationship. Okay? I'm going to acknowledge it before Him. I'm going to say what He said about it. It is sin. It is wrong. And it is forgiven in Christ. I'm not going to go, I'm not going to miss either part of that. Because that's saying the same thing about sin that God says about it. It is evil. It is wrong. I did do it. 
And Jesus paid the price so I could be forgiven for that. That's confessing your sin. See, watch. I don't, if I do my wife wrong, what's my responsibility? Well, I just need to go ahead and remind her that we're still married. Well, no matter what I've done to you, I just confess that we're married. See, that's the idea that is promoted in some circles today, that when you sin, just say you're righteous. No. No. What do I need to do? This is a relationship. We're not robots. She does me wrong. Let's fix this to make it easier. If she... If she does me wrong, she doesn't just tell me, well, marriage license, well, still in effect. We're still, we're still married. No, she needs to what? Admit to it. Admit to the wrongdoing that fixes things. It doesn't mean we're unmarried if she doesn't. And if I fail to confess a sin, that doesn't mean I lose my salvation. But it, is, it does create problems in the relationship over time. My heart gets hardened. My conscience is seared and my sensitivity to this relationship or this relationship, whatever it might be, it's going to, it's going to go down. So we want to keep things active, alive. We want to keep our, our, our thoughts full of mercy and grace and forgiveness and thankfulness, not sinfulness. And so if we do wrong, we deal with it. Remember the scripture that said if you, if you confess... Uh, uh, Confess your faults one to another so that you may be healed. It's the, it's the keeping in, the not acknowledging of wrong things that keeps people in bondage. But it is the, the admittance and the openness of things that allows healing to come, forgiveness to come. It, it, it allows God's life to work in a person. Everybody okay? I, I, I don't know about you, but I think this is, this is a... This stays out of the ditch on both sides of the road. We, we, we don't want we, we to live as if we're unrighteous because we've been made right with God. Amen? Amen. You know, hmm. <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to finish, but you guys are just, just doing real good today. And uh, eating, eating stuff up. And if I've gotten you to think, good. Let me read this scripture to you in closing. 1 Corinthians 15, 34. It reads, awake to righteousness and do not sin. Now think about that. Awake to whose righteousness? Our righteousness? Our works? Our efforts? Or awake to righteousness that we are in Him? Awake to this standing that you have in Christ and what? Do not sin. The do not sin is connected to awaking to righteousness in Him. Awake to righteousness and sin not. Amen. And goes on to say some other things. But I want to stir, up, stir in you today an awareness, a consciousness of right standing with God. Righteousness, consciousness. Amen. Think about it. What if we're all thinking this way? What if we all live this way? Think what happens when, when, when we pray. Is that not the most powerful thing on the planet? When someone right with God asks their father who loves them and everything's good to do something? You think what happens when people come up for, for healing in, in our, at the end of our services and stuff, and they come up knowing, man, I'm, I'm right with God, I'm forgiven, God loves me. I'm ex-. 
people have this consciousness about them. I'm about to ask someone. I'm about to make a connection with someone who I'm right with. What's going to happen? Nothing but everything you asked. Nothing but demonstration of God in our midst. Amen. Praise God. Say, so what about someone who's not living right? Repent. Repent is a New Testament word. It means turn. Change your mind. Do it different. Go a different direction. Repent. Yeah. And thank the Lord that you are righteous in Jesus. Amen, amen, amen. Father, we love you today. We're so thankful for your blessings, for your favor, for your grace upon us. You're at work in us to will and to do of your good pleasure. And you're working in us this understanding of who we are in Christ, of this righteousness that we possess in you. Oh, we are so thankful, so thankful that even though we have come short of your glory, that Jesus was our substitute. Forever we're going to be conscious, aware of that finished work. We love you today. We serve you. Father, I pray for anyone, not, not a person today, leave here in guilt and shame and feeling bad. But I pray that everyone would rise up to receive and accept your forgiveness and their state, their, their, their standing, their place with you. Give you all the glory. I thank you that sicknesses and diseases are removed. Hallelujah. Depression flees far. It goes away. And a new boldness and confidence rises up in every believer today. We give you all the thanks and all the praise. Father, for those who are not yet born again, I pray for them. Oh, draw them near to yourself today. Show them how much you love them. How you want to wash them clean in Jesus' name. Amen.